Miami. Hello there and welcome to a, a very special Dynamite Nebby, the show where three old pals swap three old games and then come back and have a wee chat about it. There's only two years today, um, myself and Mac and my compadre from another madre, um, Michael McCormick. Hi, how's it going? Sorry Mick couldn't be here, he told me that um, he was walking down Maryhill Road the other day and like, a, a giant golden ring appeared, <laughs> um, so I think he's in some sort of special zone, not quite sure when we'll get him back, but... Aye. Hopefully not too long. Mushroom Hill Zone. <laughs> <laughs> Aye. So today, we're still sort of, we're, we're, we're emerging for the bunker slowly but surely, but we're still, um, we're still sort of kind of in the, I suppose you could call this limbo. Basically, you can just do whatever you want as long as you say that you're social distancing. That's just, that's the magic words. Aye, aye. And uh, <laughs> Boris Johnson on the telly saying, um, if you can stay home, do stay home. If you don't stay home, then stay home. But if you can't, if you do, get a fucking, you don't know what to do, man. What are you like today? All your instincts. Aye, but anyways, that's enough about the virus. Um, as I mentioned, today we're going to have a wee special, just to get out of the way. We have um, a very special guest coming on at the end of this show, and I'm sure that none of you will know who he is, but by the end of the, by the, end of the episode... <laughs> so today's episode is going to be about... For some, a very passionate topic. For some, no none went about it. But it really goes back to the time where, before broadband came out, um, just the years just preceding that, where there wasn't much to do on a computer. I mean, you had um, your, your games that you had to buy in physical format, like a disc, and you had, like, Minesweeper and Solitaire and Pinball, sometimes if you were rich enough to have Windows XP. But we never... The days of the, um, the World Wide Web where most interactions didn't take place in Facebook or Twitter or Discord, they took place in forums. Yeah, yeah. So basically what you would have is a, an online hobby. Um, there was ones all over the web, but this one seemed to be particularly... Um, particularly niche. A, a niche. <laughs> yeah, and niche in that, um, it's basically enthusiasts of a certain blue hedgehog we've spoke about on the podcast before these are people that make their own games in honour of the the blue blur as it were Aye so this is a, a community mostly in the early days centred around a forum called Sonic Fan Games Headquarters started around 1998 to collect um, a kind of a bunch of quite rough and ready games um, that had been made to, to celebrate Sonic and this was maybe around about a time where it was 1998, you know, the, the Sega Mega Drive was at the end of its life cycle. Um, you had the Sega Saturn, but due to kind of various problems with titles not getting off the ground, there wasn't really a mainline uh, Sonic the Hedgehog game that hadn't been for some years. So, nah. You know, people were, people were crying out for um, for the return of Sonic, and, and Sega just wasn't answering their prayers. Aye, so, aye. It was, um, it was a case of... Obviously, the Mega Drive ones came out, and um, we all we're at our age where we, we grew up with certain Mega Drive games, um, and most games got a most games got a sequel on like a PlayStation or the Saturn or whatever was out at the time. But Sonic kind of a, a sequel kind of loaded us for a while. It brought out a various compilations like Sonic Jam, Sonic R, which was like a racing game, um, but we didn't actually have a. A sequel. I suppose the closest we had was then that was Chaotix on a 32X, but... Maybe they had one. Maybe they had one, aye. Maybe they had one. And I think that game makes up like 25% of its library, man. <laughs> Absolute horse shit, but... Aye, so uh, that obviously left a wee gap in not only our hearts, but 
and the market, I suppose. Aye, so yeah, the, the community started off with, um, you know, a lot of pretty, pretty amateur people with no knowledge experience with um, games development, just kind of passionate, passionate fans with maybe, shall we say, mere, mere passion than talent. <laughs> the, um, the software being used at the time was um, some of the earliest kind of software, kind of like we talked about, RPG Maker, that allowed you to make games, but without really a whole lot of yeah. programming knowledge. Um, yeah, the the click click team series of uh, of games creation programs were quite popular, starting with click and play, click and create, aye, aye. Um, and then the games factory, um, and kind of various more modern iterations of that. Those were um, so those are the games that we kind of grew up in. And I guess when like, what's your first recollection of coming across this scene? Because we've kind of been in amongst these these forums for a good part of our lives. Aye, well, the earliest memory I've got of this is funny enough in your house. We, we were pure nerds, man, back in the day, still are. And uh, we spent a lot of time in your computer room. And I remember you telling me during school, look, mate, I've got a Sonic game on my computer and I don't know what it is. Do you want to come and check it out? I'm like, I'm fucking right, I do. Go up the stair and check it out, man. It's um, Sonic Boom. Sonic Boom by Mark Braid. Um, 1995, I think that was released. Good yeah, these, these games should not. These game creators should never be forgotten. <laughs> well, I don't. I, I can remember playing it, and I'm thinking, right, hold on a minute, man, hold on, something's a bit fishy here. And uh, I, I realised there was no Sega and all that shit. And I was like, what's going on, man? Because at this time, you don't understand the concept of a homebrew. Do you know what I mean? Because we're only wins, and it's a brand new thing to create your own game. Yeah, I think this is. Possibly the first, or definitely the first kind of well-known uh, Sonic fan game, and it was, I mean, it, it's very basic by Aye. today's standards. People at that time, they hadn't really figured out how to recreate um, the kind of mechanics of the Sonic games on the Mega Drive or any of the other consoles. This was effectively like a, a side-scrolling shooter, pretty much. Aye, right? on wheels. Aye. There was a, a kind of paint, MS Paint style drawing of Sonic and you can move them up and down and fire. I think it was apples parties when they were running across the screen. The most distinctive thing I, f- I remember you telling me is Andy, Andy's legs are drawn like Microsoft Paint and they just kind of <laughs> rotate. I mean, I, I suppose Microsoft Paint was uh, cutting edge at this point by the looks of this game. But it's certainly worth checking out. It seems to be the genesis of the, the whole scene, to be honest. And it's so uh, I'm not too sure if that was made on a cut team product. I think that even preceded that. I'm not too sure. Perhaps um, our guest will be able to enlighten us on that. But um, that sort of was the prelude or the that was sort of the introduction to what was to come after. Aye, and this is kind of um, a scene that's kind of went from strength to strength over the years. Even if a lot of people don't know about it, um, it started with games like that. As I say, very amateurish, very crude, and then gradually things got more advanced in in every way. And you've yeah, you start getting things that are pretty much rivaling what come out uh, on the Mega Drive, and you know, going going beyond it. Um, so it's been pretty amazing to kind of watch that for the sidelines yeah. over you know twenty odd years. Yeah. So what we're really going to be doing in this episode is we're doing our normal thing, swapping games. We've picked two games each because some of these games are quite short, um, but we're trying to get a bit of a kind of just a, a sort of sampler of. Um, the various kind of different time periods and how things have how things have progressed um, across across the years, giving you a kind of flavour of what this scene's all about. Yeah. Um. What what how it started, where it's going, 
and capping it off with an interview with the long-running, I guess, um, leader, you know, yeah. community, community leader of the Sonic Fan Games community, uh, Mr. Perfect Chaos Zero. And we're going to be asking him a few questions about the scene towards the end. Yep, so I'm sure everything we see up to then is basically just our thoughts. It's not the official thoughts of the community as a whole. For instance, I'm going to coin a phrase the Dark Ages, which is just <laughs> our, our phrase between the two of us, personally, um, which is going to sort of cover uh, the, the old aspect um, of the of the scene that we were talking about before. And I think that one of the key points about this era is that, as you were saying, the like RPG maker... Uh, it didn't require you to know any programming language or code. It didn't require you to to input any um, sort of kind of advanced development skills. It was just a case of drag and drop. You could create your own engine um, just by drawing the sprite and then correlating that sprite with a bunch of clicky things instead of typing out loads of, loads of code to you know um, make it move. But that also came with its own limitations. <laughs> I we can kind of discuss those when we're talking about, uh, about some of our games. But I mean, we, you know, we, we say the Dark Ages. I mean, these games, those they're quite quite crude, quite basic. But also, there was a very low barrier to entry. You know, creators of all shapes and sizes could um, could build these things, and you can see playing some of them. Just some of the kind of love and passion that went into them, even even through the kind of rough and ready exterior. Yeah. So. Aye, if you want to get into it, man, we can start to have a wee bother about our about our chosen games. I've I've been kinda of going back and forth on mine to be honest with you. Um <laughs> I wanted to my original plan, I think we both our original plan was to choose like a good one and like one that's sort of like infamous good. Like it's still good, <laughs> but in a, in an infamous way. And uh, do you know what? I'm an old sucker for the for the old Sonic fan games, so I thought I'd go for just two old ones, man. Because uh, and I don't know, I, I, I want to get across like, what the place was like back then when I was most active, basically. Uh, so why don't you kick off then with one of your, your choices? <laughs> right, then. Right, first of all, um, I'm going to talk about John Leon's The Search for Knuckles. <laughs> giving yourself a mammoth task here because we're talking about this game for maybe 10-15 minutes and the game takes about 3 minutes to complete <laughs> Aye. It's, um, a lot of these games earlier on in the scene seem to be very heavily based in having a, some sort of story arc I mean you had, you had games like Sonic Brick and Sonic Boom and Sonic Brick was like a breakout clone and Sonic Boom was sort of like, as you said an unreal sh- um, shooter you had this other branch of games that were kind of like the the story arc took center stage almost. Like the gameplay took a heavy back seat. I I think it's it's easier probably to just write a whole load of nonsense <laughs> put that as part of your game, um, rather than making you know engaging gameplay mechanics. Like I think um, yeah, there was definitely a lot of like comedy games at the time. <laughs> exactly. Um, I don't know how funny they are. I don't think I don't know if the humour stands up at all. Um, but in fairness, they were they were probably made by twelve to fourteen year olds. Aye, and as you said at the time, it's it's just brilliant to have Sonic on your PC. One, PC's not his format. Two, fucking you've not had a, a new Sonic experience in, in years, man. And he's your favourite game, so it's good <laughs> to have it on your PC, man. I don't know, I, I quite like the humour in this game. It's basically a mishmash of movie parodies. <laughs> <laughs> Starts off, uh, Knuckles is missing for some unknown reason, right? Um, he's just flying about. You end up at Angle Island Zone, spelt wrong. I, 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 I'm guessing the guy's first language isn't 
as in English because there's a lot of spelling mistakes in this. <laughs> um, that all... I mean, seeing Anko Island, so you think that might be intentional, but if there's more, then yeah, it's probably not. Aye, I thought I, I thought it was intentional until I read his um, see Star Wars kind of intro when the yellow writing goes down, <laughs> and I read it and it just didn't make any sense, man. It was like it was spelling popping with one p and stuff. <laughs> so, so aye, yes, but if you can get past that, it, it's actually quite funny. So you're on Angle Island Zone and you jump down a Mario pipe for some weird reason. It's always great to see a Mario pipe in these games, man, because we're mortal enemies in the mid nineties. Um, <laughs> you get down and you meet a dog. Quote Wesley. Now I'd imagine that this is John Leon's family dog's name or something because I, I can't think of any any Leslie's for any Leslie the dogs for any sort of games. I, can't, I know Lassie the dog, but <laughs> not Leslie. So you eventually. It's a joke made to an audience of just one person. Exactly, but aye, aye, me. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, you go, you go over, and there's signs saying Knuckles is here, Knuckles is here, Knuckles is here. And you walk up. Can I just say that you 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 only move like twice in this whole time? Like you don't you don't have any control. But uh, you walk over to who the game I would say is knuckles, and you notice that it's not knuckles at all. It's metal knuckles, right? So you have a wee exchange with him. What's that nursery? That old story? Is it the the big bad wolf where he goes all oh, oh, knuckles? What shiny teeth you have? I have them to eat my grapes and all that. <laughs> so he's, the guy's obviously clued up on, on his lore because we all know that according to um, I'm not too sure if it's the Archie comics or the Fleet Bay comics but he eats grapes didn't he I thought it was just because it was an, an echidna I thought they might be vegetarian ah, herbivores there we go maybe I've just got this first game years ago and I forgot you've internalised it uh, so here's the best bit so after this sort of short exchange ripped directly from a nursery rhyme a nursery rhyme yeah make a knuckles attacks you so it runs at you, but you get a kind of pop-up text bar that says, you can't defeat Knuckles. press E to continue. <laughs> <laughs> so I imagine there he's maybe, um, he's maybe thought there's going to be a boss fight in this game and then realised that he couldn't program a boss fight. <laughs> he says, well, you know what, you can skip this one if you want. Does not compute. He was obviously, um, aye, he was obviously more a student of the, the arts, than uh, <laughs> computer science, you know. It's uh, more of a work of literature. <laughs> <laughs> but I so you you beat him, and then Knuckles magically appears, and you end up back on Angle Island, right? But you notice that Angle Island is snapped in two, and like the Titanic, it's sort of you know how the hull of the Titanic stands up in the in the film, <laughs> and they're sort of sitting at the top. Breaks in the middle. Aye, well, it's, it's like that. Angel Island or Angle Island is, is shaped like that. And then they're up at the top, and the Titanic music comes on, and you get that old trope. Oh, Sonic, this is where we first met. Um, <laughs> so uh, there's a, a wee bit of romance and love in this game as well. Homoerotic I'm, undertones. I'm not, I, I'm not quite sure what, what he was thinking. Maybe, um, I don't know, man, maybe a, a self fulfilling prophecy for a guy, I'm not too sure. But, but no, no one ever says I'm, I'm king of the world, though, so I'm missing the obvious Titanic reference. Ah, I know, I've had a went with that one day. But, um, yep, we're nearly at the end of the game now. So, to save the day, Tails comes by in his tornado plane, on which you and Knuckles jump on, just like the end of Sonic and Knuckles. And 
Knuckles and Sonic notice that there's sharks in the water and they say, oh God, Sonic, thank God we don't, we don't need to swim in that water because the sharks will get us. And then Tails pulls that mad face he pulls when he's bored and says, sorry guys, we've run out of gas. So the plane goes out in the water and the eyes stay on the screen like that old um, cartoon trope where the, the sprites fall but the eyes are still on the screen and the eyes fall after. I mean, that's, that's it. <laughs> the end. <laughs> I mean... So that's that's an introduction to. I mean, this is this is kind of why we're talking about the Dark Ages, right? I mean, <laughs> it's barely a game. It's barely fan fiction. It's just a series. Of, you know, kind of like how films at the time there was those parody films are pretty popular. Say like Scary Movie or like um, what was the one? Not another teen movie or something like that. Aye. Where the humour just comes from. Oh, that's a that's a reference to that other thing. Aye, that's right. <laughs> it's like it's like the guys in the screen mask saying, "Was that?" Aye, that's the fucking <laughs> that's the jokes. I think, I think you're right, man. It, like, you've got to remember how primitive it was back then. It was like if you download the sprite, and let's just say like, a sprite is obviously the character on screen, right? We always refer to technical things that the listeners might not know. A sprite is like the drawing of Sonic that moves on screen, basically the character. Aye, right. Um, if you're downloading one of them and remember it's got all its animations and stuff and even if it's one megabyte in 1999 or 1998 man you're downloading that one megabyte and it'll take you what 20 minutes you've been there <laughs> I think you'll be well at least 56k kilobytes per second and it's a million of them you're downloading into it a thousand million well, you get the idea anyway. So everything is MIDI based. All the music is MIDI based, which I think I've got to admit. See all the old MIDI's. I find them charming as fuck and quite it's creative. It's a lost art form. Uh, Aye. The old general MIDI format. I Some pe- folk get no bad results with them. Some great arrangements, man, have been converted into MIDI and. Aye, as you say, these, these people that do this go unnoticed, man. I think it's a pretty dead art, aye. But interesting to kind of see a revival of that, actually. Well, there was for a wee while folk making these kind of um, ironic sort of like click team games, but just like they were kind of like intentionally quite shit mm. for a laugh. But I don't know, like, I don't know, part of that feels a wee bit kind of mean-spirited to me. Mm. It's like it's taking the piss out of the folk that, that made these back in the day with kind of good intentions. I think what you probably get with this game is that it's kind of like like a lot of art forms kind of start off with whether it's like punk or sort of like zine culture or whatever it's just folk having a laugh for their mates you know Bye. I think this was a game just here's I've downloaded Sonic what if I just make them do funny things to some <laughs> funny music and my pals will get a wee laugh from it like Bye. They weren't Oops. expecting 20 years later folk on a Games Criticism podcast <laughs> dissecting it and um, trying to understand the meaning of it. So oh, try not to be too nasty about it. But from, from things like that, you know, folk sharing things with their pals, creating things for a laugh, and that's how kind of scenes and, and art forms grow and evolve. Aye. So that's that's just how it that's how it started. Aye, so I gave this one just for the pure humour and I, for some reason I've remembered this one compared to all the rest of them, it stood out. So I'll get I'll get three uh, Chaos Emeralds out of five. Aye, if you're curious, like, watch a video on YouTube, probably not worth the hassle of downloading like all the DLLs and nah, trying to find the set of the game. Mother to get running, so it is. <laughs> but, um, aye, so that's, that's, a, that's basically enough said about Sonic and the search for Knuckles. I'll quickly fire on to my second choice and then... I was going to say, that's probably a good one, that's probably quite a good one to talk about if we're talking about a kind of 
chronological order of this scene because this Aye. is one still for the early days but maybe a wee bit more work put into it and maybe it resembles resembles a kind of half decent platformer a wee bit closer Aye. than the rest folk were, folk were starting to understand how this um, these, the software worked and um, kind of getting in amongst how you could make kind of fairly compelling game out of it but still not really Aye. you know in quite as professional Aye, exactly. so I don't want to introduce this one to us Aye, no bother. So this is uh, Red 17's uh, Sonic Thirdscape release. 16. In... No, no, you're Roman numerals, man. XPI 16. XPI 16, sorry, mate. <laughs> Red 16, I'm very sorry, mate. I've actually mentioned this guy in a previous podcast because you, you didn't know the Final Fantasy characters in the meeting. That's right. But anyway, Thirdscape. Uh, at the time, um, ripping sprites directly from games was as clunky as it sounded. You had to load up a a Mega Drive emulator, um, and you had to alt and print screen every single frame of animation so that you could then rip it and take it into your chosen sort of program, game creating program, and put all the frames together um, and do it with as much frames per second as you could, essentially. Aye, this continued through uh, Sonic Adventure 1, Sonic Adventure 2 came out. People were trying to recreate the 3D model in the same program, so obviously they couldn't emulate these, these 3D models at a time, so people began to create their own models and hand-draw their own models. And while I remember at the time that um, we were kind of in, in this forum when the Sonic Advance games were coming out and there was a big rush to kind of rip these um, sprites out of Sonic Advance and then for about a year or two afterwards, every game you've seen had these, had these Sonic Advance sprites aye. in it. Yep, aye. The Sonic Advance ones were, were everywhere. I the zeitgeist of the scene was basically, from what I could pick up from the forums, trying to rip as much as they could from the Sonic Adventure and Sonic Advance games. And sort of find a sort of creative middle between the Advance and, and, and Adventure games and creating Aye, a sprite. You wanted to look, you wanted to look modern, you wanted to look professional, even if that's just like <laughs> basically stealing stickers artwork. Aye, so it, it began as like trying to recreate Sonic Adventure 2 sprites, Sonic Adventure sprites, but then you started getting ones with like longer legs, you started getting ones with like wee bits in his hair, you started getting like original. Aye, yeah, uh, people, people were kind of riffing on them aye. and kind of learning about pixel art and learning how to make things in their own style. Aye, and what you got after that was uh, contributors, in my opinion, like, like Show Off Boy, who I think... Per- aye, his, his art was pretty great at the time. I thought he brought out the coolest Sonic Adventure 2 sprite. So that was that done. And then, obviously... Obviously, the artists kind of moved away from the pack a wee bit. The, the artists that were that are really good in that department, and I would say Red Sixteen, the creator of Thirdscape, was probably the the best on the community at what he done in terms of art style and creating sprites and creating a world with his own hand rather than ripping things directly from Sonic games. There was a real way of That's the thing that kind of stands out about about this game. I Means still still kind of something for the early days, but the fact that it was all using this kind of hand-drawn art and its own, um, it had its own kind of look and art style about it was what made it stand out for the pack. Yeah. So this game, uh, it's called Sonic, right? But it's, you could essentially rip all these characters out and you would have the same game. You know, Sonic and Tails and, and Knuckles in this game doesn't contribute to the story in any way. Aye, most of them are kind of like original creations. Aye. Like which actually is, a, this is another kind of, um, I think for the, um, old forum culture where everyone would have and I can't stress this enough right not a sexual thing <laughs> okay. had, uh, what was called a furry which is basically just 
your OC, your, your kind of original character um, that you would use to identify yourself, that'll be a wee picture. Usually, it would be like a picture of a uh, Sonic or Knuckles, maybe with a um, different colour scheme or some accessories. Aye. Mine, for example, would be um, my handle was Rex, and Rex was a red hedgehog. We are. With an eye patch, um, and he was a space pirate of some sort. I can't imagine anything cooler than that, right? Aye. Uh, but this, I read this guy. He was, um, uh, he was kind of known for his uh, his artwork. Not not a bad programmer as well, but you know he had his own sort of original characters that he drew. And um, that I think the games were kind of an excuse, Aye. really, to just kind of show showcase that and showcase his art some of the time. Drew's in Badnicks put himself in a game. He did in obviously furry and. In, he would be in these games, he's in games, I thought it was pretty cool too. He was also quite intuitive with his um, boss battles, if you play Thirdscape, some of the bosses in it are quite good. Hard, very hard, especially the last one, but, but good too. But aye, I totally agree with you, like the, the alluring part of this game is definitely its art style. And it was the same with uh, his previous game, Omni Chaos, and obviously yeah. the, the, the sequel to Thirdscape, Thirdscape 2 as well. I mean, you're talking about a guy that's not getting paid, you're talking about a guy sitting in his room, probably in his teens at the time. And he creates this amazing kind of... I am making art, artistry that, that only people like us see. He's fucking... You know what I mean? And uh, if you go back and look at it, you'll be able to see the progression. Um, if you look at Sonic Boom we're talking about and then you look at Search for Knuckles, you can sort of see the next level of progression where games became more original. Everything was kind of hand-drawn. And the old kind of... The old way of doing things, like just ripping the Angel Island Zone out every time you make a, a fan game, kind of moved on. Uh, even between the um, the prequel to this game, which is uh, called On Omni Chaos, um, the sprites for that were uh, were taken for like Sonic Three or something with kind of minor alterations. Aye. Um, and actually, actually, interestingly enough, um, I remember when I was playing the game, I, I was playing Omni Chaos for the first time, uh, and I got to the final boss. I was like, "Oh, what is that terrifying thing, man? It was it was some sort of creature from another dimension." But it turns out. Um, that it's the final boss for Echo the Dolphin. <laughs> <laughs> that kind of horrible alien thing, the Vortex Queen that we talked about. That's <laughs> right, I hate that thing. Um, I so you kind of recontextualise that into the boss of this game. Um, but uh, it's, it's got a kind of story like. Um, aye, but a future. I, 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 I don't know if it was maybe partial to maybe the. Um, the American of the the British comic series, or I even maybe like Sonic Adventure One, where right. the story's got maybe slightly more growing up, slightly darker themes. You I know what I mean? I think the darker theme comes from the American, the cartoon man, see cartoon. Yeah, I think it comes from that. But right. I mean, yeah, I, the community, no matter what, no matter what all fan game you were playing, right? You sort of had like we we're talking about the stages. You had the people that were into Sonic Three Knuckles making Sonic Three games. You had people that were into Sonic Adventure, making Sonic Adventure games, and you had people that could make their own art, making their own unique games at this point. And that's, if you look at these three kind of pillars, the community sort of went doing the original side, the original pillar, and kind of f- fucked off into planet creativity. <laughs> um, I said, like, yeah, this game has got a kind of um, a story about kind of like an dimensional evil coming to the Sonic universe and forms it in the form of these kind of. Uh, aliens, sort of a robotic alien race trying to fight Sonic. So Sonic's jumping about these Aye. levels, um, trying to defeat these, encountering some of the um, some of the characters of the Sonic Adventure One, such as Tikal, the Echidna. There's no speed in this game at all. It's like a quite a slow platformer. Um, Aye, so like yeah, so we've got to we've got to a point now where it is past what we're talking about. We 
um, the Sesha Nuggles and, and Sonic Boom, like, you know, the, the games are starting to resemble, like, platformers. Um, and this game kind of works, uh, or, or eight as a platformer, you know, you've got kind of, like, um, different obstacles to avoid, um, kind of, like, jumping around, dodging uh, dodging enemies and obstacles, that sort of thing. Um, a few kind of set pieces and stuff, whereas, like, the, the gameplay changes a wee bit and you're maybe be a side scrolling but maybe a bit but I know there's a bit where he's kind of falling down a big uh, a big pit and he's got to dodge Aye. left to right and some of that so things Absolutely. change up but it's in terms of the platforming so this is maybe something kind of like peculiar to the team software packages where you could decide how you wanted each object on the screen to move mm-hmm. and there was a built in platformer mode and that would let you move your character for left to right you know jump up and down accelerate and stuff um, but that to be honest, didn't really feel that well. No limitation. Like it, yeah, it, it didn't feel very good. Like the, the jump was quite floaty. Infamously, if you were running and then you jumped and then you landed again, <laughs> you would just your, your momentum. You would stick um, to the roof. Aye, which is like completely, <laughs> completely antithetical to to a Sonic game. So, like you know, the games, the games of this period, you could call them platformers, but they in no way could feel. Um, Didn't they feel like Sonic? Like Sonic, game. Sonic games are Sonic games were uh, well known for being fluid, man. It was a, f- a fluid experience. That was the whole alert. Yeah, going fast, collecting rings, and good room hula hoops and all that stuff. Um, but I, as yeah. you were saying, this never had any in it. So we, um, um, my kind of like experience um, with the scene, you know, me, me and Andy and um, a couple of our other pals uh, joined, quite enjoyed some of these games. Um, we started kind of ma- making a few bits and pieces. The infamous Knuckles vs. Pokemon, which we might talk about <laughs> a chance towards yeah. the end, um, was made by me and um, a friend of mine who went by the name of uh, Sly. But we were kind of involved in the scene, I guess. I kind of gravitated more towards the programming side, Aye. trying to make an, an engine um, that kind of felt like a bit more like a Sonic game. So um, rather than using the built-in movement, we do what was called a, a static engine, which is effectively... You don't set the object to have platformer logic. You set it to just be a static object, and then you would have to code all the movements uh, yourself, and then that would give you kind of more control over it. And um, you could kind of make a game feel a bit more like how you want it to play. Mm-hmm. Um, those games were getting more popular um, when I was kind of working on it. I released a wee kind of engine that folk could um, could use and take to bits for like, their own purposes. But we were trying to crack the kind of logic of like how to make Sonic run up and down hills and round loops yep. and run up walls and run on the roof and stuff like that like that was the maths involved today that was kind of beyond me but well, there was people in the scene working to to get that figured out well, to get it, to the next level it was uh, aye that was the point that kind of exceeded my comprehension of things like, <laughs> when you're talking about like giving everything counters and stuff like that I mean use it at the time, the stock click team GUI, sort of point and click your own engine thing, that was sort of reached its limits at the time and it opened the door for you guys to, to bring in things like that. But that was the start of the progression into what we kind of know now in Sonic games. Like, the static engine was, it obviously had its competitors, like Betamax and VHS, you had the ball engine and the static engine, remember? Um, the st- I wouldn't bore anyone with the technical details there. Uh, the static engine sort of won out, and um, that started the sort of progression to the Sonic Worlds engine, I think. Aye, so 
we had periods of games um, like Thursday and people trying to find find their own ways. But generally, you just kind of had to uh, had to start from scratch and develop your own engine. But you know, there was a, a kind of growing scene of people that decided to sort of pull their talents together. Um, once they had gotten to a point where you could pretty much do everything uh, in click team that you could in a, a regular Sonic game. Um, people, once that had been kind of worked out, people got together, developed what's called the Sonic Worlds engine. So that's like, it's basically like a kind of template that you use in these click team programs. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it was called Multimedia Fusion, the latest version at the time. And you download this, and basically without any programming, um, you have access to, to kind of um, I, all, all the kind of tools you need to design a sort of Sonic level. And that's all the kind of like the programming involved to like make them. Um, run through loop the loops and spirals, jump on springs, jump on boxes, get invincibility, kill enemies. You know, yada yada yada. All the the kind of uh, bits and bobs and gadgets you get in a sort a sort level. So that allowed people with less programming experience to just jump in and focus Aye. purely on like the level design Aye. and the art and things like that. See, this sort of became industry standard. Like. You get one standardised engine, so you end up with like cookie cutters. Like the Unreal Engine, the Unreal Engine is used for many games, isn't it? It's the same sort of Aye, idea. And it takes care. Of, it takes care of a lot of the low level stuff, like you know, physics and three D rendering. So it's, it's it's that kind of thing, and it's it's just a kind of division of labour thing. Once you've done the hard work, then you can focus on maybe the more fun stuff. Yeah, I absolutely. But one argument I would make on that, I mean, if you think about the charm of these, uh, the older games like Thirdscape, where it was all hand-drawn, um, it was sort of highly original, and you look at Search for Knuckles, uh, the, the charming like, movie quotes that made you laugh, you know, they, they, if you've got a standardised engine, then, you know, you're going to see similarities in every game that uses that engine, so it's not 100% Yeah, original. exactly, yeah. They're, going to, they're, they're going to have a similar feel to them, and maybe a... A similar look to them, and to be honest, like at, at this point, like my my interest in the scene started to peer away a wee bit because I, I liked the programming side, but I didn't like so much the um like the level design aspect. I, I found that I probably didn't actually want to make a game. I just kind of wanted to make an an engine. An engine. Yeah. Um, so if, if I'd known about the Sonic Bros project, I think we might have lent some of my my skills to it. But I think I was probably getting married any uh, alcohol with girls at that point. <laughs> <laughs> well, as you do. I think everybody goes through that at some point, man. Not at all. Uh, so that leads quite nicely into the game that I'd quickly talk about. I think this came out maybe in 2006, um, and it was a game called Sonic Before the Sequel um, by a developer called Lake Feppard, who I believe is Brazilian. Actually, we didn't, I didn't even mention with Thirdscape that it's um, made by a fellow Scott, Red SBIs with Stutland or something. Ah, that's right. Um, aye, but anyway, um, I saw it before the sequel. This was the first one. I, I had to kind of been away from this scene for a wee while. I heard good things about this game and come back to it, and I was pretty blown away, to be honest. Like this, this was something that did actually, you know, resemble something you may have played on the, the Mega Drive. It made use of this, um, this Sonic Worlds engine, which made it pretty much, you know, play like um, a Sonic game would, which when you've not had a proper 2D one out in a while, this was, you know, pretty mind blowing. Um, so right away, the kind of contrast between this one and then what came before from me was like just this kind of era mm-hmm. of professionalism. You know, you see these um, there's, there's great, lovely graphics. Um, the music um, is is incredible. You know how much I like my my music and especially my Sonic music. But um, oh, nice. this kind of captures a lot. Of, I think what they were trying to go for a recreate with sort of limited sound chip. In the Mega Drive, it was all that kind of like um, maybe like kind of jazz, jazz pop, jazz fusion, 
um, sort of vibe to it um, with kind of electronic elements um, and this is like CD quality music you know it sounds um, mm-hmm. sounds like the real deal um, you can tell us you know talented musicians but that were also inspired by by the early aye sort of games. I like that aye yeah um, aye, so this game's got a kind of a lot going for it a lot of like big inventive uh, levels um, it does that thing that I think you quite like Andy that you mentioned in Sonic 3 Knuckles where it's like levels that kind of tell a story almost um, you know you talked about um, like for example you go through Angel Island Zone you start a uh, Sonic 3 and then you see the body kind of um, fire this kind of napalm almost over it and then you play the last of the level and the zone's on fire things like that where it's kind of like the, the kind of level design sort of takes you on a journey rather than just you know like a wee Mario level going for left to right yeah Aye, and you can kind of, from this game, um, you can see just by looking at it, first impression, it's jumping out at you, I'm a Sonic game. But yeah. Before, you know, you had to use your imagination, which isn't a bad thing, I suppose, but we're old. But if you're just <laughs> getting into it looking for a Sonic fan game, could you imagine if we'd seen this back in 2001, 2002? I mean, it's totally night and day. I mean, you've got the, all the abilities are there, spin dashing, going up... Vertical, uh, going round loop the loops. I mean, it's all there, you know. The momentum's correct, the fluidity's in check. There's, yeah. There's not much. There's not much to criticise about this game if you want a Sonic game, and that that's how far that these projects have came. They're they're, they're very professional in scope, um, and people really put their heart and soul into them. And I, I guess that's what makes this hobby so so special to people is because they don't get paid for this. Um, right. It's very niche, but the the quality of their work is so high now. It's very difficult for people to get involved. I mean, like, I think Sonic games in modern times have had kind of mixed reviews, and I think, you know, sometimes there's a feeling that maybe um, the people making these games are maybe just just in it for, for the dollar, man, doing it for something to push out. It's just any old shite that kids will enjoy, whereas you can tell with these fan projects, it's a labour of love. They're not expecting to make any money from them, but they have a passion and they need, they need you know, have a creative release and, and just give that to a small community of, of fellow passionate fans so that's what you kind of call it with this yeah. um, I mean some of the highlights as I said the, um, um, the, the levels are kind of big we kind of very steam so you've got hilltop heights which is a kind of a kind of floating sort of ruined city mm-hmm. um, but you know that's the kind of the, the top of the level it's quite peaceful there's no enemies but occasionally you go down into the undergrowth where it turns into more like a kind of a forested area um, and then as the stages go on, they kind of each level in, in this game always always has some sort of progression between the stages, as if you're kind of going about a journey. So like it does kind of torrents of rain coming down in the first stage, but then in the third level of it, um, the sun comes out and there's a rainbow, um, and there's kind of <laughs> various different variations on this one. There's a good one called Lost Levels Zone, which is oh, a tribute aye, aye. to the, some of the levels that were cut from aye, Sonic Two. Aye, that's right. um, We'll put you in the spot here, but um, Andy can probably bring off a couple of those. Aye, Wood Zone, uh, you've got the aptly named Genocide City Zone. They had in Paris and all that, aye, so there's quite a few left. Yeah. Uh, left out for Sonic um, 2. <laughs> um, aye, there's, a, um, uh, there's another good level, but, um, probably my favourite bit of the game is a, a tribute, not to Sonic, but to, to Mario and to Yoshi's Island. Where um, you know the the part where you touch fuzzy and get dizzy. Oh, um, aye, aye. <laughs> yeah, so that's the part um, in Yoshi's Island where he touches this spore, and um, 
kind of crazy psychedelic effect that start happening and the, the ground starts wobbling up and down. Yeah, this, this game um, this game has a, a, a part of it that kind of mimics that, which is pretty great. And um, that also kind of um, is a good example of another thing this game does well with its music, which is um, it has kind of dynamic music mm-hmm. in a lot of places. So, um, for, for example, one level is kind of fire and ice theme. When you're outside in this kind of fiery volcano, Ari, okay. um, it, it plays kind of like a rock, a rocky version of the tune. Aye. But when you go inside, there's a kind of ice cavern in that tune. Aye. On the beat, it changes to like kind of icy techno, like trancey sort of tune with the same melody. I know what you mean. Um, so I kind of interjects between the two themes. Yeah, so I like to kind of go into bits of the level where it changed and just kind of jumping from one to the other <laughs> here in both bits of the tune. Um, but the reason I mentioned Touch Fuzzy Get Dizzy is um, that in the first two stages of that level, um, the tune kind of warps and becomes quite uh, unusual and trippy when you um, when you touch one of these things. It's culminating in the third act where when you touch one of the, the spores, the theme of the, <laughs> the music instantly transforms into a pure aggressive dubstep tune <laughs> for a couple of seconds. Um, it's purely in time with the rest of the theme before going back to normal. So it loads of wee kind of cool, um, cool touches there. Um, in other levels, you know, they've got, is it, they're well designed, like um, they, they kind of set themselves apart. Like you can tell that they're, some of the levels are quite open and all about running for long distances, whereas other of them are a bit more a bit more tricky and um, you know you can kind of fall your death and stuff like that. So there's been kind of care and attention to the level design, but it's, it's also I think some of the the two D Sonic games, some of the later ones, Sonic Advance were quite bad for uh, having dead end sort of ah oh my like, god I. Bottomless pits I mean, when you don't expect they them. were in Sonic, but they were sparingly used, man. No, I mean, they weren't. They were They were made a Mario thing, wasn't it? Yeah, but this one, um, it was spikes. Tell you where these are coming. It, it, it was signpost them. Like you're not, you're never going in blind. It never feels unfair when you're dying, which is pretty good. So uh, this is definitely a recommendation from me. Um, there's there's a number of these uh, games created by uh, Lake Fairbird. Um, another one called um, appropriately Sonic after the sequel rather than before the sequel. Um, it made some games called Freedom Planet, which aren't Sonic games, but they're kind of Sonic games in all but name. Effectively, Sonic with the serial numbers filed off. <laughs> um, I've not played those, um, but they are on Steam and they're quite well regarded. Quite kind of faithful Sonic-esque platformers. Um, and the latest things I'm working on are uh, a series called uh, Spark the Electric Jester. Right. And that's actually a take on the Sonic Adventure games, kind of like an indie Sonic Adventure, which, I mean, it's... Probably better than the official ones, judging by his records. <laughs> <laughs> Aye, yes. I mean, everything you've explained there is sounds so innovative and so well done. And, I mean, professional compared to anything I talked about. I mean, it's amazing <laughs> to see how like, they evolved for something so primitive. Sonic Boom right through to, I mean, everything you just discussed there. So it's, yeah, it's, no, it's, it's incredible. It's total, total leaps and bounds. Uh, I mean, it took um, it took over a, course of a few short years. It did take oh, it did take almost twenty, I suppose. But <laughs> but um, yeah. this uh, whole this whole sort of template engine notion led to sort of present day. And um, obviously, we'll talk about the most famous Sonic fan game um, before we end this podcast. But an, an ascended fan game, an ascended fan game that stands on its own. But um, but one last point I want to make is uh, this: this sort of could be traced back to um, the creation of Sonic Mania. Now, t- technically, for all intents and purposes, Sonic Mania is a fan game. 
Um, the two of the members of the, the community we're talking about, um, the Taxman Stealth, uh, they are the programmers of Sonic Mania, which was a World Waste Sega release, um, which actually outsold by, I think, by maybe two or threefold, maybe even more, uh, the, the, the A title Sonic Forces. And to this day, uh, the most amazing thing that I think the community's achieved so far is that because the fan game was so good, Sonic Mania, because it was so good and so well received compared to its, its what they would class as an A title, then they don't know what the fuck to do with Sonic now. <laughs> the, the community's <laughs> fucked him and fucked him up. <laughs> I don't know if, if you know the kind of the classic rock band, Germany, right? So Aye. Singer, um, amazing singer, left them quite a long time ago. The remaining members of Germany were on holiday in the Philippines mm-hmm. and they heard a Filipino cover band, Germany cover band, and the singer was singing their songs pure absolutely not perfect and they were like you know what we're going to get him to join the band as a singer right <laughs> so that's what happened with Sonic Mania right they were so good at making Sonic fan games better than Sega that Sega thought we're going to hire these guys we're going to give them a budget yep. and we're going to get them to make um, probably the greatest Sonic game that's ever come out I, feel, I would say it's up there man definitely I mean I was always a Sonic free Knuckles man you know what <laughs> but that the thing, the notion I got for that game was that uh, that would have been if the if the whole 3D explosion never happened, then that would be the next sort of type of Sonic game we got. Sonic 3 Knuckles with loads of parts added on, and that's yeah, essentially logical, what it is. Logical successor to it. It's fucking great, man. It's great. I mean, I've got a few criticisms of it, but I'm who am I to criticise Taxman and Stealth, man? I'm not going to sit here and moan about original this levels. This was kind of. Um, you know, people that were, were cultivated by the Sonic fan game and seen, um, and the idea of kind of these engines like Sonic Worlds. Um, I, d- I don't know if Taxman and Stealth's engine um, predates that or if it was kind of started before that, but their idea was effectively to make the most accurate sort of um, recreation of um, how Sonic worked on the Mega Drive, sort of reverse engineering it, figuring out exactly how it, how it worked, and so much so that you could effectively. Um, plug in the assets from a, a Mega Drive Sonic game and it, it would just run on this new platform but because you've got it running on a, a kind of brand new engine you could make it run in like 60 FPS you could make it widescreen, you could port it to um, different platforms and stuff like that he, these guys basically made a, a sort of proof of concept which was um, Sonic CD running uh, on the mob- a mobile platform. Oh, aye, that's um, a good port. Aye, with like that engine. And uh, Sega liked it so much that they decided to release it, and it was um, well-regarded enough that they decided they were going to give these guys a, a game of their own to make. So uh, that's kind of, that's, I mean, kind of where we are um, now with this, with this scene, um, to be honest. One of its great success stories. But aye, uh, the final game that we're, we're going to talk about, not really doing this in chronological order because this is... In some ways, a new game, but in some ga- ways, a very old game <laughs> um, would be um, Sonic Roboplast 2. Aye. So this is uh, the, the outlier we're talking about. Now, what we just discussed there was a sort of concise rundown of the Sonic fan game history. We understand it, not officially, which we probably left out loads of shit, man, but it's all, it's all, it's all we know. With regards to... Like, a game that's stood the test of time, a game that's just constantly being created, a game that's never known development, and a game that has about three generations of different developers, maybe? <laughs> Aye, I'm sure it's like, um, 
probably developers have had kids that have went on to develop this game. <laughs> it's um, it's been in production since I believe nineteen ninety eight, and um, still not still not quite finished. Yeah, so. I remember this coming out at the same time. I, I suppose you can kind of say there was like two branches of innovation at the time, and that you had the the sort of the, the people who were carrying out the sort of pathway that we were talking about earlier, but then you also had this kind of outlier that was um, that was based on the Doom engine, I believe. Aye, so all the games we've talked about so far have been have been two D, and the vast majority of them. Um, Sonic fan games from the kind of generation that, that we know about and are interested in were 2D. Um, and this one was actually a sequel to a game from that era called Sonic Roboblast 1. But Sonic Roboblast 2 was an attempt to make a, a, a 3D Sonic game using, as Andy says, the Doom engine. This would have been before, I guess, Sonic Adventure came out and that this started in its early days. What I kind of find interesting about it is like it's an attempt to kind of figure out how a Sonic game, a classic Sonic game, would work in 3D. Aye, yeah. Um, and taking a completely different path to what the the games on the Dreamcast ended up taking with Sonic Adventure, which kind of set the, the template for everything going forward. So yeah, this game is, is um, it's about using the, the Doom engine. Um, you control it with a keyboard and mouse like you would an FPS. <laughs> yeah, that's one of the most WSCGs. confusing aspects. Which is which is bizarre, right? <laughs> it's, like, <laughs> it's crazy. <laughs> yeah, it's um, it's it's kind of unintuitive, but to be honest, you get used to it. Um, and yeah, it's set in a three D world, but it's um kind of textured to um to look maybe quite similar to um the kind of classic Sonic games. So you've got your first yeah. level, which is um effectively Green Hill, yeah, Green Hill Zone, effectively Green Green Hill Zone, um, but. Yeah, to to get slightly like nerdy, uh, as I mentioned, Sonic Adventure One came out for the Dreamcast. Um, it was around about a time where the jump to three D was just happening, and three D platformers were were in their infancy. I mean, you had like, for example, Mario sixty four. You had Super Mario sixty four, which, to be honest, like pretty much nailed three um, D platforming. Um, you know, in terms of uh, Mario's moveset in, in the world like it felt very good it felt like Mario but other franchises maybe maybe weren't any successful um, maybe hadn't you know figured out how to make that transition yeah um, so how Sonic decided to or well the Sonic team decided to take Sonic in that kind of feeling of speed and these kind of um, roller coaster like levels forward was Effectively taking control away from the player, I would argue. Mm-hmm. Like, for example, Sonic's known for his speed, but I would say secretly what he's really about is momentum, right? Because, you know, you've got to judge how fast you're going, you've yeah. got to judge how, how fast you take off from it. It relies um, a lot on the fluidity of the movement and stuff as well, yeah. Yeah. Um, so, but when you play Sonic on the Dreamcast, for example, you go round um, one of these loop de loops, like you can take your hands away from the controller. And he's, he's going to play itself yeah. for a while, right? Um, and I, I kind of I kind of think something's been lost really in that transition. But Sonic Roblast Two does something a bit different. Yeah, yeah. It's, um, it tries to it tries to give you the same sort of moveset pretty much as you would have in the two D games, um, which has its own problems, right? Because it's it's more difficult to kind of jump on enemies and stuff like that mm-hmm. um, in a three D world. It's difficult to have kind of quite tight constrained spaces yeah so so the levels in Sonic Roblast 2 are pretty big and expansive um, 
and they've got quite tiny enemies that don't always pose you a huge amount of threat. Um, but I would I would argue it maybe feels a wee bit more than like a um, like a Mega Drive Sonic game than than some of the Dreamcast ones do. So yeah, it's a pretty yeah, it's, it's an interesting one. Certainly different from the, the sort of two D games that were going about at the time, and it served a it served a purpose in that. At the time, um, there there wasn't any official releases um, coming out, so you had this sort of outlier, sort of pseudo 3D kind of Sonic game that you could dip into. Um, it had the ability to net play. Um, it was constantly being updated. There was something new almost every month for it at the time. So it was good to have that option. It was good to see that there was two possible avenues for the, the scene to go at that time and from, from what we've seen anyway. I kind of kind of pioneered this whole idea of early access, right? Because the game's been in development for like twenty two years, <laughs> and yeah, it's been it's just been kind of constantly getting refined. I'm not, I'm not entirely sure why it's taken so long. To be honest, maybe it's just a classic thing of um, yeah. you know, lack of lack of resources and lack of time to commit to the project. But um, maybe they just really, really maybe they just really, really enjoy it, enjoy what they do, and it keeps <laughs> them coming back. I mean, that's that's but a hobby at the end of the day, isn't it? It's not it's not a game. It's a lifestyle. Yeah, exactly. Right, so I, I, f- I think that we're sort of reaching our time there. Um, we've covered quite a lot today. Um, a lot of people who people are still with us, hopefully have a wee bit of interest now and would like to continue with our curiosity into the scene. I'd like to introduce someone very special. Uh, we have on the line just now, uh, he's going to answer a couple of questions for us, the owner of Sonic Fan Games Headquarters, and the convener of the Sonic Sonic Amateur Games Expo, uh, Perfect Chaos Zero. Hello there. How's it going? Okay, Perfect Chaos Zero. Thank you very much for coming on. A bit starstruck here, not going to lie. Big fan. Big fan of the website. Big fan of Sage. Um, Thank you. <laughs> so, yeah, um, if you forgive the nervousness in my voice, I'll just ask you a few questions. Me and Mick have um, come up with a few things to ask you. Perhaps our listeners are interested in what we've been speaking about today and they might want to get involved. So, the first thing I would ask you is, um, what was your first encounter with the Sonic fan gaming scene? How did you get involved? And is there any games or demos from the early years, which we've coined the Dark Ages, <laughs> that still hold a special place in your heart? So, you guys are actually, interestingly, uh, kind of talking about kind of that era loosely just a bit ago. You guys mentioned, like, the big Sonic drought, right? Yeah. Where, like, you know, kind of like between, like, the Sega Genesis and the Dreamcast, during that sort of Saturn era, you didn't really see a whole lot of Sonic games coming out from Sega. Uh during this same time was kind of the emerging era of the Sonic community on the internet. Uh, it actually started off very, very early on by uh, a website called rat.org, oh. which is kind of weird because like, you know, Sonic, why is it called rat.org? <laughs> but it was such an early period of the internet that that kind of shit didn't really matter. The community was very different back then. You had this sort of emphasis on things like fan fiction, things like MIDI files, things that took up a lot less time to download. But at the same time, in this era, or or rather I should say the era emerging from this, uh, people were hungry for new Sonic games because there were none. This is before Sonic Adventure. This is after Sonic and Knuckles, 
actually going to get in this time period of Sonic R or yeah. Sonic Jam, a remake of the previous games. That's it. That's all you had. You, you didn't have nothing. So Sonic fans were straight up dying. We, 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 we had a whole console generation where we didn't have a real Sonic game. Which, you know, people talk about these days. If you look at Twitter right now, even they're like, oh, Sonic Drought. There's no Sonic game announced this year. Yeah. Really? really? Nah, nah this ain't the drought. drought. <laughs> that was back then. I don't know what y'all are talking about. You know what I'm saying? Like, it ain't been like three, four years. Come on now. Yeah. Yeah, it's just, it was quite a, a time back then when we didn't have anything. And it was quite a novelty to have like a Sonic game on your computer, you know? <laughs> oh yeah, it's quite an overlay. Even if it didn't have any sort of aspects of the Sonic that you loved, it was good to just have the guy on your on your computer for me anyway. It was a nice gimmick at the time. <laughs> well, we got got lucky in like I don't know, like what was it like ninety six, ninety seven when they released Sonic CD on PC, something like that. Aye, that aye. helped. Yeah, that's right. I, um, I think they released. Aye, Sonic CD it was, and I, did, I think Sonic Three was out for it as well, wasn't it? But the music was all changed or or something like that. Oh yeah, yeah. Yeah, that was a bit it didn't, didn't didn't run too well. <laughs> no, it never did. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, there's some issues, but it was something. But that's all. That's all we really got. Yeah. Uh, so the way I got introduced into the fan gaming scene was actually being a kid, uh, way back in the day during the real Sonic drought, and I was like, you know, crap, man, I really want a new Sonic game. Yeah. Like a lot of people who are in the scene today or are from that back period. I, you know, I really want a new Sonic game. So I started, like, looking up on the internet. And, you know, being a, a naive kid in that era, especially when you're younger, you, you kind of had this mindset of, nah, man, this this can't be it. Because Sonic was huge when I was a kid. Like, he was, you know, Michael Jordan, Michael Jackson <laughs> here. Like, it was ridiculous. <laughs> so it was confusing to a youngster who had actually grown up in that environment to be like, how how is there not a new Sonic game. This is before, you know, you really had things like Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, conglomeratized game news uh, concepts yeah. on the internet. Everything was very loosey-goosey back then. So one had, like, this almost impression, like, oh, this, this, this can't be it. There's got to be something wrong, mm-hmm. right? There's got to be more out there. So you'd go looking for Sonic content. And during that era... As people were just starting to get into 56K internet. I'm not talking about DSL. That shit came a little bit later. <laughs> right when people started predominantly becoming 56K past the 28.8K uh, modems that people used to have back then. Um, you would see a lot of people start to develop things like fan games, which I discovered by accident just on a, a Google search. I ran across uh, Arlen's original oh, website uh i want to see it's like 98 99 somewhere yeah. around there yes pre pre-sonic adventure though by by a big amount hilariously i joined this site under the name of perfect chaos zero which is a weird coincidence because ironically my name has nothing to do with the sonic universe oh really it actually <laughs> is a Far more cringier thing <laughs> invented by like a, a 14, 13, 14 year old me. And it was supposed to be like a Super Saiyan version of Mega Man Zero, like oh, Zero from Mega Man. Cool. Huh? Uh, 
but somehow that mistakenly ended up being a coincident. Aye. Sonic reference. Perfect Chaos Hero is the, he's the, the bad guy from Sonic Adventure, isn't he? It's a ref. I always thought it was a reference to that, but every day's a school day. <laughs> but I got introduced overall in the fan game series just basically from the condition of the scene back then, where Sonic games were a rarity. I went looking for new stuff. I, I went to Ireland's uh, old SFGHQ site and ran across Sonic Chaos and some of the other titles by... Magic Graphics. Um... Legendary old school fan gamer Atak Ayasu. Oh, right, right. Someone right. a lot of people don't remember. And, and his games are actually really what brought me into the scene. And then, you know, Sonic Roboblast 1 sort of became a thing. Weirdly, SRB2 kind of bumped out SRB1. The moment SRB1 kind of started gaining steam popularity wise, let's be honest, the original SRB1 was not. <laughs> but it kind of gets the popularity because no fan games are great. Back. Yeah, that's the point we were making earlier on. It's like every every but, fan game had its charm, but they weren't great. <laughs> but then this motherfucker AJ Frieda posts SRB2 on SFGHQ. Uh, it was the uh, SRB2 Halloween edition, I yeah, think, that, yeah. we, that a lot of us first saw. <laughs> and that that blew a lot of us out of the water. Yeah, that was kind of light years ahead of what anyone else was producing the thing. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, things have just kind of escalated since since then. So SFQHQ as a community was particularly active um, among people with no background in games development, particularly young people, kids. Uh, what was it about Sonic fan games that attracted so many people to the hobby back then, do you think? The mechanics, the, the math behind the games, absolutely. Sonic is... There's not a lot of appreciation for this amongst a lot of people these days because it's it's been around for a while. There's been a lot of clones, and a lot of people have forgotten uh, the original essence of those games. Fortunately, Mania has served to remind a yeah. lot of people. Even Sonic game themselves, I'm sure. The mathematical aspect of Sonic in terms of game development is very unique versus pretty much any other platform gaming style. Uh, the momentum physics, mm -hmm. the speed, the the camera control, all those things are very unique to Sonic. And for from an aspiring game dev uh, point, it's very interesting. And when you combine that with the lack of Sonic media from that time period, but just how popular Sonic was in the 90s. A lot of people don't understand. Yeah. And it, it, it's almost difficult to express. In the 90s, Michael Jackson and Michael Jordan were basically Jesus A and Jesus B. Like they were <laughs> the, the next, thing ever, next best thing ever. Sonic was on, on par with Michael fucking Jackson and Michael Jordan in terms of their fame. He was more recognizable than uh, Mickey Mouse for a little while. Yeah, he? yeah, yeah, three, famously. So, so like, like Sonic was a huge, 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 huge deal. And his absence left such a gap that it, that it created a, a zone, haha, -ha, pun, <laughs> for the fan gaming scene to grow with such an incredibly... 
huge boost I get, I can guess you can say, in terms of like motivation and development. And it's interesting to see that um, even today, because of that huge boost, overall, we're one of, if not the most advanced fan gaming communities. Yeah. Period. You don't really see as many Mega Man fan games that are done competently versus Sonic fan games. You don't see them certainly in as many styles either. Yeah. Uh, e- even the Mario fan gaming um, scene doesn't really hold a candle. No, no insult to them, by the way. The Mario fan gaming scene is fantastic. But it's not quite as expansive as the Sonic one. Mm. Uh, and that's that's a result of a lot of things. Um, Mario Fan Gaming Galaxy actually uh, existed back then. But we've had the huge advantage of Sega being relatively supportive ah, of right, fan okay. gaming. Whereas Nintendo shuts fan gaming projects down. Ah. Oh, and, yeah, absolutely. And, and that's... that's the big cheat code, I guess, that the Sonic scene has over the the, the Mario scene, fan gaming wise, is that we're able to carry on our shit and develop the huge points. Whereas any Mario fan game that gets really, really bopping, often, not always, but often, gets shut down by Nintendo. Uh, SRB two should not exist. <laughs> but it does. But no sane game company. Except maybe Sega. I don't know how the hell we got away with it. Would have allowed SRB2 to exist. It was fucking crazy for them to let us do it. But they did. This is why Sega Sega are so much cooler than Nintendo. Because they're behind the fan gamers, man. They're behind behind the scene. So, (laughs) well. It's interesting you kind of mentioned the the kind of maths and the game's mechanics that that go um, behind the scene. Maybe kind of underappreciated in Sonic games um, kind of when I was uh, involved in the forum uh, for a brief couple of years that was uh, what kind of interested me and I think what we were kind of trying to do at the time was sort of crack that, that code really um, where you had starting with primitive games that don't even resemble platformers to the kind of very basic platformer logic that mm-hmm. um, the Click Team software had and then people were developing you know, what they called static engines where you would have your own kind of code and um, sort of logic controlling um, how the character works, making it work a bit more like Sonic did, and then I think uh, around about the time I remember was people were trying to crack, you know, things such as moving in 360 degrees um, up walls or in loops and that sort of thing, so yeah, it's interesting um, to, to just watch that progression happen and people putting this putting this effort into kind of recreating that so, yeah, in this, in this episode with them We've looked at some fan games we've enjoyed, mostly focusing, as we say, on the early days um, when um, Andy and myself are um, kind of part of these the, the forums. What were a few landmark moments or games over the past 20 years, sort of in, in between that point, which have taken us from the, the cooler fan games of the past to the kind of dizzying heights of, say, Sonic Mania or some of the other amazing projects we have right now? So, in a weird way, it's a very difficult question because it's been such a multifaceted thing. Yeah. Yeah. And I could sit here and talk about Taxman stuff, right? Like, I, I could talk about, like, Sonic XG. I could talk about Sonic Nexus. Uh, I, I guess I'll fucking hit those up uh, really quick. Sonic XG was an amazing uh, C-plus uh, game that Taxman invented later. 
Brad Flick, the level designer for Sonic uh, Mania, made Sonic Nexus. Mm-hmm. Uh, eventually, those games ended up getting conglomerated, and that kind of started the the birthplace of the people who just started to go out to make Mania. That said, any asshole can go on YouTube and fucking look that up. <laughs> right? Like, 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 that's... Everyone knows about that. Well, where, where did all that come from, right? Yeah. But, like, like really. So, sure, you, you have uh, amazing individuals like Stealth, um, who actually started off making the C++ version of Sonic Roboblast 1. By the way, shout out to my boy Nick. He's making the updated version of Sonic Roboblast 1 with official oh, blessings nice. from the original Sonic Roboblast team. <laughs> uh, so you might want to keep an eye out for that. Yep. But games like that didn't have the same benefit, I guess you could say, as Taxman's fame or a lot of the stuff that uh, Stealth had developed to sort of they use a launching platform for themselves. Uh, before that, you had a lot of people that were kind of exploring um the c++ scene mm-hmm. and there's a lot of sonic fan games that have had a much major influence than a lot of people want to admit or even realize uh one of the by far biggest examples and possibly one of the most talented sonic fan gamers i've ever seen is rob showalter and his game sonic epoch it's funny oh, I people make fun of sonic epoch today today they do they don't understand the context of the time period. Yeah. This, this was made in like 1998 to like 2000. Like this is a long time ago. And Epoch at the time had the distinction of being pretty much the only fairly complete C++ Sonic fan game. And it was a sad AM Sonic fan Aye, game. Yep, yep, that's right. I remember that. You know, I know a lot of people, a lot of youngsters today don't like Sad AM. That's fine. That's fine. But you have to understand that during the Sonic drought, we didn't have all this this Sonic media. There's no Sonic X. Not even a Sonic Underground for a lot of people. So we had what we had. And there wasn't like this very delineated Sonic story from the modern Sonic games. They didn't exist. There was no Sonic Adventure. There was no Sonic Adventure 2, there's no Shadow, none of that shit fucking existed. Yeah. There's no storyline for Sonic, really, at this point. It's a confused, jumbled mess, because you have the Japanese manuals, and you have the really weird and bad story posted on the Sega of America website that made no goddamn sense. So, that's all you really had. And the, yeah, the comics... We, we kind of talked about some of the games and the older games in the scene we were talking about, but Sonic Thirdscape, how a lot of them were kind of almost fan fiction in a way, and they were quite story-based, like an attempt to kind of craft a story onto Sonic. Exactly, and this is why you saw so much steam come from Sonic Epoch back in the day, because this was the first story-oriented Sonic fan game. Yeah. 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 And for its time period, it played better than everything else. Today, if you were to compare it to say even something as basic as Sonic Worlds, it wouldn't play as well. Yes. But this is not, number one, not intended to play just like a normal Sonic game, even then. Mm-hmm. Number two, it's not a time period where accurate Sonic engines existed. <laughs> yeah, there was no relevant comparison fan gaming wise. Yeah, yeah, the limitations of the, the Click Team engine being a particular bugbear at the time. 
Sonic not falling to the floor was a freaking miracle. <laughs> like, you know what I'm saying? Like, it, you're talking that early. But this motherfucker had a fan game whose all of its art assets, and a lot of people don't understand this, aside from the backgrounds, they're all hand-drawn. Yeah. All the sprites, all the characters, all the stuff drawn by hand. You don't, you don't see a lot of that no. even today. Not, not like that. So, so there's, it's a very nice essence to the aesthetics of Epoch for that time period that are very excellent. But what's more interesting is the fact that it was the first C++ game. So it was really the most advanced Sonic game of its time. Yeah. And that game became the foundation of Fans Unite for Sat AM. All right, okay. Uh, Fans Unite for Sat AM is still today, as far as I know, the biggest Sat AM fandom uh, on the internet. But why, why is that relevant? Well, Ian Flynn, current writer for the IDW Sonic comics, actually got his start making comics, like web comics, at FUS. More nice one. <laughs> so, weirdly enough, because of Sonic Epoch, FUS grew and developed, and because of that, Ian Flynn started doing Sonic comic stuff on a fan level, and because of that, he got hired by Archie, and because of that, he got hired by IDW. Oh. So it's weird to see that weird chain impact. Yeah, man, yeah. It's, it's a crazy route into the business, isn't it? Um, it really is. <laughs> so uh, between the beginning um, of the, the scene that we spoke a bit about, um, and today, present day, uh, the bar... Has of quality has been raised for fan games, whether it's a gameplay, graphics, or just general professionalism. Uh, do you think that the hobby is still as approachable now for new creators as it was perhaps maybe 15, 20 years ago? Far more approachable, actually. And that is actually due entirely to the fandom's actions. You heard me earlier mention uh, Sonic Worlds. Yeah. Uh, Sonic World started off as a base Sonic engine by infamous Sonic fan gamer Demesian. Ah, I remember him. And as he and I talked about it, we decided that Sonic World was going to be a little bit different because of Demesian's intent for it and its, its level of accuracy versus other Sonic engines at the time. And we turned to what was known as a community project. Um, we must have had, like, a couple hundred participants who all made gimmicks, features, yeah. mechanical aspects, little doodads, you name it, <laughs> for <laughs> Sonic Worlds. That's cool, man. And it's amazing to incorporate all that stuff into the engine. When you look at Sonic Worlds today, you have to understand, the people who release Sonic Worlds today, the people who mm, perhaps claim a lot of credit for Sonic Worlds today, they <laughs> did really have that much to do with it. Like, they've updated it. They've, you know, modified the code a little bit here and there. But all that stuff, the actual guts, the actual essence of it, Demesian made all the guts, and all those features were made by the community. Yeah. It was a, a, a big group project. Yeah. So Demesian made the engine... SFGHQ as a whole made the engine into the monster that it is today. People kind of release it today. They're just kind of... They, they, they update and stuff like that. I do have some concerns. I'm not going to lie. 
with some individuals maybe not not giving Demesian enough credit right. for some of their more recent releases. I, I, I'm not a big fan of his name being kind of shoved up to the side, but hey, that's mm, is what it is. Yeah. Point is, we have engines like this. Uh, we have all these frameworks that people make. Uh, a lot of them are released at Sage. A lot of them are released online for free. A lot of them are show up in the SFTHQ showcase that people can just kind of grab and make a fan game with. Uh, we actually have, theoretically, fan games and game engines combined now coming out that you could make a Sonic fan game with. There's uh, one in particular uh, you can actually take that and make a Sonic fan game in like 30 minutes. That's, that's yeah. pretty cool. Um, kind of open-source game then? Well, we've had so much time to develop the fan gaming scene as far as Sonic is concerned that I think we have a huge advantage over most others because we have all these like pre-made engines. We have all these like pre-made assets. And you can just, you know, pick up Sonic Worlds, Throw some stuff in it, bang it out, and you just make a fucking fan game in like a couple days. <laughs> I think I think that's I think that's really inspiring that you know people are happy to you know share these engines and share these assets and not just you know hold on to them themselves but kind of yes. you know set them free for the use of the community. Yeah, and it's good. It's, it's very different from how game development usually works. Yeah. It's very good uh, to hear that there's still community projects like that happening, like you mentioned, with everyone having an input. Because if you go back maybe 20 years now, Jamie Bailey's game, um, what was it called again? Time Attack. Time, Attack. Time Attack, yeah. There was something similar on in, in the community where everyone had a had their um, furry put in the game. Yeah, they, well, so, <laughs> so back then, I, just as a disclaimer... The the furry scene as it is now. Yeah, we got that. We got that. Wasn't really a thing, <laughs> and the concept was okay. Everybody, make your own <laughs> har har fun Sonic yeah. character so we could stick it in Jamie Bailey's game. It's like yeah. the fucking same thing. No, nope. is that weird shit they're doing on DeviantArt these days? This was just a fucking for fun let's make a sprite shit yeah. i don't know about the stuff these days this is crazy <laughs> that's not what that was about yeah we already covered I that to, it was... i went to great pains i went to great pains to say that yeah we had to make that clear earlier on when we were discussing it yeah <laughs> people people wouldn't know because you look at it you know today and it's like what the fuck <laughs> weird shit is going on here yeah things are not when i listen back in the day <laughs> Yeah, so we've we've kind of barely mentioned um, Sage to be honest, which is kind of one of the crowning achievements I think of the oh, um, the, the the fan gaming scene. This kind of um, annual expo where people show off um, you know the latest fan games or demos or trailers or even full games or you know engines. Um, so I mean that's that's back to sort of going from strength to strength each year. Um, any people can even contribute to the career path to be involved in the Sonic Sonic fan game community at some point. Um, is there anything that you're hoping to see? Uh, come up in this year um, that perhaps you'll be looking forward to the Kirby Phantom had an amazing showing last year Okay. and I would I would love to see more of them and I could certainly tell you there's a lot of indie scene projects that I really hope to see again probably shouldn't name names because I'm not trying to fucking be like hey yeah they're gonna show up <laughs> I don't know <laughs> You know, like, like maybe they applied already, and yeah, I know they're going to show up, or maybe they still haven't gotten there yet. Yeah. Like, I don't know. Yeah, fair enough. But you, you definitely have uh, a lot of projects from last year that definitely definitely should be considered uh, prime things to watch. Uh, Dunk Hair 
which was a, a very interesting title, uh, indie title, was really awesome. Almost like a weird 2D Castlevania Dark Souls. Absolutely mm-hmm. fantastic. Pro's game Starbuster, or Starbuster, excuse me, has uh, made huge, huge strides. It's a very, very different game from last year. Uh, the control stuff is amazing. And I can say that because that stuff's been posted publicly. Yeah, that's what yeah. like, I can get away with that. Um, trying to get a figure out what else I can get away with talking about. Um, <laughs> Ace of Towers had a couple updates. You might oh, see aye, aye, change. I, I don't seen know. That one. We might. No promises, but we might. <laughs> uh, I do know there I'm, I'm not going to mention too many details, but there are some um, Freedom Planet devs that are up to some nonsense that might huh. have something for Sage this year. They might not. Right. Okay. We'll see what they have. They might have some some stupid over the top shit for us. They might not. Got it. Okay. Uh, another big one I mentioned earlier: Sonic Robo Blast One. Oh, I the remake. Nice one. Yeah. Well, but but it's not even a remake anymore. Huh? It's an update because Sonic Coup, one of the original creators of yep. SRB Two, and I believe AJ Freda even gave his blessing too gave the members of that project permission to continue the project as an official release. Hmm. So, actually, when we see the next quote-unquote update to SRB1, it won't be a remake. It will be an update. Oh, brilliant. Cool, man. That's, that's pretty cool, because... Yeah, Sonic for Robobass 1 is one that goes a little under the radar, so to speak, but it's sort of the precursor for everything we see today, isn't it? <laughs> They they have a somewhat busted cast like of some of the most talented individuals in the community. We'll see who is actually able to participate in the end, who, what, what we actually get. But they certainly seem to have a very star-studded cast. We might get something crazy good out of it. That'll be cool, man. That'll be cool. Uh, so um, that's basically that's basically it. I mean, I've got one more bonus question if you want. It's it's not a scary one. It's basically just about the future of the community. Um, obviously, the, the the fan gaming community, the Sonic fan gaming community, goes back uh, almost 21, 22 years. Where do you see it? Another twenty years down the line. So it's interesting. The pattern in the past few years is that a lot of the scene, I guess you could say has been expanding to a lot of indie game stuff. So we might be going for a little more of a hybrid uh, a focus from here on out, depending on, on what we see this next stage. We definitely want to support any devs. We definitely want to support more indie games in the community. So so we might be kind of going towards a, a bit of a bilateral focus where we have a, a divide between fan games and indie games. But the, the technology is still the same. Yeah. The techniques are still the same. The concepts are still the same. And the idea of SFGHQ uh, since the beginning has always been for people to learn game development, you know, learn how to make games, and perhaps acquire the skills to transition that into a career. Yeah. And we've actually seen that happen um, quite a bit. Yeah. I mean, Sonic Media exists. You know, where do you think that shit came from? We got things like Free to Planet. Yeah, I was going to mention that. Free to Planet that, yeah. 2's on the way. Yeah, that's right. Uh, all sorts of just like random little things that have done incredibly well. Uh, even on the fan, uh, the fan project side, just like just in terms of fan games. I mean, look at where SRB2 is today. 
after all this time. It's still around, and it's still bumping. It's still bumping. <laughs> yeah. Oh, it speaks for itself. The development process of almost it really 20 odd years. <laughs> and uh, when you look at that, you know, you, you can see there's a, there's a lot of um, space, space to, to still grow. grow. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I've been, been pretty blown away with some of the stuff that I've seen on YouTube. I'm particularly interested in some of the some of the three D stuff that's that's coming out is just quite um some of the mind blowing uh, graphics are pretty mind blowing and just a kind of maybe a different approach to Sonic in three D than the Sonic Adventure series has been taking. It's definitely a lot of room, of room there for um, for growth. And it's funny you mentioned that um people ca people can attribute their career path to um, Sonic Fan Games HQ, um, Michael here, my co-host, he, his career, um, he basically took a career up based on what I learned creating, or helping create the static engine years ago, so he's got you yeah, to, I mean, you guys no, to thank no, for that. Not really, not games development and stuff, but it's such, but it's definitely inspired a career in software development, so yeah. I'm, sure, I'm sure many people it, are the same. It is interesting because the static engine actually spawned an entire era, I guess you could say, in the Sonic fan gaming scene, like static engines were a big deal pretty much up until Sonic World. Yeah. So, I mean, that that, that, that was some big chill shit. Yeah. Big <laughs> shit. Yeah. yeah it was fun to be We've really, really enjoyed your company here, uh, Perfect Chaos Zero. Thank you very much for coming on. It's it's been absolutely great to have you. <laughs> I, I wish we had more time. You yeah. know what I mean? I got more to discuss, but maybe we can get you on in a later a later show. <laughs> Uh, maybe do one near near the stage. Yeah. Go over some more stuff. Oh, I that'd be absolutely fantastic if we could do that again. No problem. I'll hold you to that one. Okay, you want to hype things up? Aye, no problem. So you can get um, access to the community at www.sonicfangameshq.com, um, and I believe Sage begins in September. Do we have a date yet? A, a, a date in September? Uh, yes, we do. I do want to mention. As a side note, if you really want to join the community, um, we're far more Discord-centric than website-centric yeah. uh, these days. Join the Discord. The website's cool and all, but the Discord is yeah. by far where all the action happens. Yeah. Um, Showing your eyes there and telling people to join a forum. <laughs> well, the, the, the due date for entries is August 21st. I'm actually doing the expo this year. I'm actually taking this year off because yeah. the boys wanted to try doing it without me. So, like, I don't know what the fuck the date is. Oh, no worries, man. <laughs> but there'll be updates anyway on the, if not the Discord on the website or vice versa. But obviously, the Discord is where the, the party is. That's where the magic happens. <laughs> Get that across. You know, Sir, thank you very much for coming on to Dynamite Neddy. It's been an absolute pleasure. Yeah, man. I mean, <laughs> thanks for having me on. Ah, no bother at all. You're welcome anytime. Well, thank you very much. All right. Well, that was the famous Perfect Chaos Zero from the owner, sorry, of Sonic Fan Games headquarters. I don't know, I don't know about you, McCormick, but um, yeah, I'm a bit starstruck there. <laughs> yeah, it's um, yeah, gaming royalty in my eyes. Aye, aye, yeah, it's, we thought that, you know, we've we, we, we planned to do this episode for a long, a long while, it was a inspiration to both of us, basically, that we spent most of our formative years, um, the early ones on on the website, uh, just playing Sonic fan games and stuff. So we thought we'd do a wee episode on it. And the cherry on the top was getting the man himself on board. So we're happy with that. <laughs>
Right, sorry, that's been Dynamite and Eddie. Um, not entirely sure when you'll be, when you'll be joining us next time, to be honest. Aye. Yeah. We ironed out a plan for the next episode, but stay tuned, I'm sure it won't be long. We won't be going anywhere. We'll be we'll be back with our usual uh, format, swapping free games, between three old pals, having a banter just as if it's a playground in 1993. Uh, this has been Dynamite and Eddie. Thanks very much for joining us, as always. Stay safe. Stay home, follow government advice, and we'll be with you very, very soon. Cheers. <laughs> Cheers, Leo. Bye now.